Well, with Friday, we know Friday becomes Inside EMS Day, and I want to say happy Inside EMS Day to you. But more importantly, I want to say a happy Inside EMS Day. Kelly, I think we need to find some politician to change this officially Friday to Inside EMS Day. What do you say? Yeah, it sounds sounds good. The problem is when politicians change things, they rarely change things for the better. Uh, we we have the law of unintended consequences to consider, and I'm sure they'll they'll, they'll find some way to screw it up there. After all, man, you just you just I mean you just find I am, you just find I shall negative. not be infringed. I'm the libertarian who stands on the street corner and and <laughs> barks about the the intrusive government presence. Uh, you just uh, need a hug or something, man. You've I just think, been uh, you just been brutalized emotionally. When we when we libertarians take over the world, we're going to leave everybody else the heck alone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's see how that works for you. But uh... Pulsera is proud to sponsor this episode of Inside EMS. Learn how you can create a robust community paramedicine program at www.pulsera.com/ems. So Kelly, it was an interesting week. You know, we've been dealing with this uh, collapse of the condo down in Miami, yeah. Florida. And, you know, from an EMS side, from a fire side, we spend a lot of time and we kind of watch the uh, processes that go on down there. And we look at it, I think, with a with a more critical eye as to the work that goes on, because we never know when this is going to happen in our service area. And we're going to be the ambulances that are on mm-hmm. scene that are taking care of these uh, people that are coming out in the earlier days um, or being on scene to help, uh, uh, you know, rehabilitate uh, some of the firefighters and first responders that are working on that scene. So I know I pay close attention to it because you just never know that in your service area, that you're going to have to deal with this. And today, I think we've got a great guest that's going to be able to help us understand the logistics. And, you know, if he was the, if he was the incident commander on scene, what are some of the things that we would have to think about? What are some of the things that he would have to manage? And how does he make all this process work? He is a friend of the show. He told us before we started that uh, he listens to every single show. So we're going to have to put that check in the mail for royalty. And, um, (laughs) He is the chief of Champaign Fire Department. He has been around EMS. We talk about inside EMS. He was actually here, and they built EMS around him. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a coach. Our friend Gary Ludwig. Chief, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, good morning there, Chris and and Kelly. Uh, Yeah, they built it around me, but, man, they had to use a lot of material to get around my girth. So uh, that's why you see this material shortage uh, out there in the industry right now and why home prices and lumber prices are going up. So. Well, we're glad that you're here because you are a wealth of information. You're kind of one of the go-to leaders on both the EMS and fire side. So you've had a lot of great experience that has given you kind of that uh, reputation in our career field as being one of those combined leaders, uh, both from fire and EMS. But And that's why you're such a great guest to have on today, right? Because you've, you've been in charge of EMS, you've been in charge of fire. So now when we think about this condo collapse, what a horrible incident um, that happened down there. And, and we keep an eye on this. They're still looking for 153 people. I think the latest count is 12 dead. I think there's two uh, children that were also uh, fatally injured. But from a, from a, you know, uh, incident command, when you first hear a building collapse and, and you're now kind of gathering your team as you get on the scene, I mean, what do you got to think about here to make sure that the logistics of this is going to start to run as smooth as it needs to, e- even before you get on scene? Well, you're absolutely right. I, those are all things that, you know, the, each, 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 each example, each case is unique. You know, how you build that team around you. 
Thank God we now have NIMS, the National Incident Management System. Uh, that was issued by President, believe it or not, less than 20 years ago by President Bush. Uh, it was, that was Presidential Directive 5 that basically instituted the NIMS system. And that was after, not before, after 9-11. And, uh, you know, we, we found all the shortcomings with 9-11 and the fact that uh, you had all these mutual aid companies coming in and nobody's talking the same narrative. Nobody's, no, nobody, was it side, side A of the building, side one of the building? Was it side alpha? You know what? Nobody had a nomenclature that was consistent. Nobody had sections, divisions, branches, all that sort of stuff. That was, that, that was new to us. And so um, that was something that we instituted after 9-11. So thank God we have that system in place now. So when it comes to designing and managing these types of events, designing a system to manage a condo collapse, we now have a structure in place, a template in place that allows us to basically build our delayer or however you want to do it or add to um, to that system in order to make sure that system functions properly. And that's the system that, that they are using, no doubt, down in Florida as we speak. You know, Gary, one of the, one of the problems with incidents, public incidents like this is, is everyone's an expert and, and social media has exacerbated that problem. You see a lot of, of uninformed commentary and an opinion uh, levied on, on situations like this, and not the least of which is, is the paid commentators and pundits on, on, uh, on our news media. What kind of myths and misconceptions are you seeing perpetuated out there, particularly in social media, about what's going on and the role of the, the search and rescue crews and, and, and that sort of thing that, that you'd like to dispel for us? Yeah, it's, it is. You're right, Kelly. It's, it's such a disservice when I hear individuals not only you know write stuff on social media but the ones that tout themselves on the national news as experts and uh, and have never been involved or engaged in any type of operation of this type and don't even have the credentials um, and somehow the media you know they're so anxious to get people on tv and get them in front of a camera and they want somebody to uh you know to, to basically speak to the issue and so sometimes they do a quick google search and it'll search people out and, uh, and, and then call them up and say, hey, I need you to get on TV. I have had that happen to me here uh, with this Florida collapse. I can't tell you. It's probably been around eight to ten calls from the media doing Google searches because I come up on Google searches because of my role when I was president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs. I'm, I'm still the past president, uh, but it was just a year ago that I was the current president. So I come up in a lot of media searches and a lot of other uh, Google searches. And so I've gotten about eight to 10 calls already and uh, asking if I'll come on TV or if I'll make a comment on radio or in the newspaper. And I say, no, I am I am not the person you want to talk to. There are other experts in the USAR profession or those that, that have been in USAR for years um, that you need to speak to. And, uh, and so I'll usually refer them to somebody that I know I know a lot of people are down there right now currently working. And so I've had a lot of conversations with them, but I refer them. And because I am not the person to speak, I'm not the person to give commentary. I'm not the person to give some type of description of what's going on because that is not my background. I don't have a use our background. And so it's such a disservice, Kelly. So what kind of, uh, what kind of, of challenges are, are the rescuers, uh, with the preface that, you know, you're, you're not a USAR expert, but, but you are intimately familiar with the incident command system and large scale of, uh, events and, and planning for that sort of thing. What kind of challenges are the rescuers facing down there in that condo collapse right now? Well, the, the biggest issue is the secondary collapse. And, and that's why these USAR teams are, are so wonderful. They're, they're FEMA teams. 
There's 20 of them nationally. When I worked uh, as a deputy fire chief in the Memphis Fire Department, uh, Tennessee, Tennessee Task Force One was a part of the Memphis Fire Department. The Memphis Fire Department managed that team. So uh, I have a lot of friends that are, are in USAR. I have a lot of friends. I saw intimately how that operation ran for 10 years down there. They were deployed numerous times to your area, Kelly. Um, they went down mm -hmm. to Hurricane Katrina and Wilma, and I'm trying to think of all the other hurricanes along the Gulf Coast down there. And uh, and so, you know, they are uh, they they are challenged. Number one, to answer your question uh, about a secondary collapse, uh, these USAR teams are built to handle a multitude of different situations, uh, including I, I. It sounds strange. They the teams that are deployed right now will bring boats with them. Because they just don't know. They bring everything they need to sustain themselves for 10 days. And the, they actually will bring boats. them Because you don't know if you're going to need a boat down there. You would think, why would you bring a boat? You just don't know. So they'll bring boats with them. And uh, so secondary collapse right now, though, is a primary. And part of these USAR teams, the heavy team has 80 members on it. And the, the team is just not firefighters. It is a team. It is a team approach. There are structural engineers that are part of these teams. And these structural engineers go through multiple classes on building. Not only do they have their, their foundation as an engineer on how buildings are designed, but they also go through multitude of special classes on, on building collapses and how to sustain and how to reinforce structures that have collapsed. And so the, the structural engineers, as an example, will tell the firefighters who also are trained in structural collapse on how to shore up a building. So that's your primary concern. You wanna make sure that you don't have a secondary collapse. I, I, you, could, I, you could look right now, you got one tower gone, you got the other one sitting there and, and, and you gotta think, well, hell, is that thing gonna come down also? And so that's one of their primary concerns. And then once you have stabilized that structure, then you can begin a grid pattern of searching uh, the debris field. Uh, I can tell you they got about uh, 400 USAR member teams down there right now, Ohio 1 and Indiana 1 have also been deployed. Florida 1 and Florida 2 are on site. Uh, Virginia 1 and Virginia 2 have also been deployed. They got all seven Florida regional teams in place. And believe it or not, they have teams, I uh, have the 10-member team from Israel there. Uh, a team from Mexico has come, and I just learned from a friend last night that Columbia is also sending a team. And so think about the logistics of trying to manage all those teams besides the support and all the other components that go into supporting an operation. And they are, they are, uh, they are uh, again, doing a phenomenal and awesome job down there. I got a follow-up question for you, Chief, but before we do that, whether community paramedicine or the routine transport from COVID to STEMI to behavioral health, from the scene of the crash in your city to the patient's living room in Rome, Montana, Pulsera connects you in real time with any member of the care team. Pulsera makes communicating across organizations and regions easy for any type of patient. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate in a way that's best for your team and the patient care. For more information, visit pulsera.com slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com slash EMS. You know, so when you think about this, you know, you talk about the logistics of managing 400 people. You know, let's put yourself as an incident commander of something that is going on of this magnitude. And when we see, you know, you, you talked about stabilization of the other of the other parts of the building, we, we see the you know, the, the models of how this, uh, uh, you know, this collapse happened and you had the inner part and the outer part go, but now you're on scene and you've got to be able to manage these 400 people. What's, what's the logistic, what's the administration of doing that? 
um, in making sure that everybody who goes in is coming out. Yeah, well, obviously, you have to have an accountability system. And, and, and also, you need to talk about the support. Obviously, they have a medical support team. There are doctors and paramedics as a part of the medical support team that support the operation in the field. Um, you also have also the canine teams. You have uh, the teams that they have to have in place to make sure logistically that just simple things, make sure you all have enough charged batteries, you know, that you have enough water, that you have enough food. Um, the administrative part of tracking not only the, the hours of inside the grid zones and the search patterns, but also the, um, the hours work because all that has to be reimbursed by the federal government. So you have to have administrative people on site. Uh, there, it's just, you know, if you look at the NIM system, it's basically, um, you look at all the different components and then you build upon those systems. And that's where you see a team like this in place. And then you have section chiefs, you have incident management teams uh, that are, are managing these different sections. And so it is a, it's, it's, it is a phenomenal operation. I, I can't even imagine how we would do this if we didn't have a presidential directive five after 9-11 that basically, you know, mandated the, the institution of a, of a common way of approaching high intensity, high profile, high, um, high um, laborious events such as this. You know, it, something Chris said really struck me there, uh, that the logistics of, of putting this into place. You mentioned how many, how many teams, 400 teams? No, no, there's 400, at least 400 USAR, 400 team, USAR team, team members, members on site. Okay. Um, Including the, I would just go through a list of them again, real fast, Kelly. You know, you got Florida one and two. Again, these are federalized mm -hmm. teams. They're fire departments that are funded by the federal government, FEMA teams. And uh, you got Florida one and two, uh, Virginia one and two have deployed uh, there. You have Ohio one and two. I'm sorry, Ohio and Indiana. Ohio one, Indiana one that have deployed. There are seven Florida regional teams that are not funded by the federal government. And then you also have Israeli teams, uh, Mexican teams, and also uh, Colombia has just been authorized. The country of Colombia has been uh, authorized to bring a team in. And that 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 has got to be a very complex ballet to to choreograph. That that you know it's it's. Uh, I think it was Omar Bradley that said that uh, uh, amateurs talk strategy and uh, professionals consider logistics, and the logistics of manning uh, of managing uh, for the incident commander, overall incident commander of managing that many people and that many interconnected pieces has got to be staggering to, to say the least uh, you know um what kind of what kind of uh things are would be going through a, an incident commander's mind and managing this and and uh making sure the, you know the safety of the rescuers and 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 from everything from the safety of the rescuers on down to to the the operations to managing the media horde that is descending on it trying to second guess their every move yeah i i can tell you this uh it I, uh, I've handled some high profile events during my career, um, but nothing of this magnitude. But I can tell you, one of the most important things to answer your question, Kelly, is, is not to micromanage. You yeah. need to trust the people that you have in place to manage these, these different sections, these different divisions, uh, these different branches within your operation. And you gotta make sure that you trust those people. You gotta make sure they're in place and not manage. I can almost imagine what that command post looks like down there. Just the planning people. You have to have a planning section alone just to plan for the next hour, for the next 12 hours, for the next day, for the next five days. Uh, you can't, you know, just all of a sudden whip and say, hey, we need some more batteries. 
um, because these batteries are running lower. Hey, we need some more water because um, they are they are calculating how many people they have on site, the average number of bottles of water they will drink a day, and they know exactly how much water they have to have in. All that is done through the planning section. So to answer your question, Kelly, uh, my advice, and I'm almost sure that what's going on down there right now is the incident commander is just making sure that all the pieces are in place. And when somebody's not available, say the planning chief needs to, all of a sudden, um, maybe his granddaughter's going to have a baby or maybe his wife has some type of medical emergency and has to leave. They need to make sure they have a secondary person and some type of success in planning that is a deputy to be able to move into that spot. So the most important thing for that incident commander is not to micromanage, but to make sure that they have all of the pieces in place and make sure that the chessboard looks like it should be. Yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine. I mean, we, we one of the things that I tried to do as a best pra- practice and operational role in my last operational role was anytime something happened in the United States that was considered a mass shooting, mass casualty, um, I always got my leadership team in the room to say, this just happened on the corner of X and X. What do we need to do to prepare for this? And I don't know that we do this enough, right? I mean, we, we've said for years, Gary, that it's not the, you know, it's not the if, but it's the when that this happens in our coverage area, whether it's mass shooting. I mean, what do we learn from something like this? I mean, so as we, we're sitting in our respective states, I'm in the Hoosier state right now in Indiana coming to you and, you know, Kelly's in world famous pick in Louisiana, you're out there in Illinois, um, I mean, so we're sitting here and we're watching this happen. How do we get the lessons that we need from this event to help our own staff in the event that something like this happens, regardless of what it is, collapse, mass shooting, whatever it is? So um, the best thing is, is to learn from those that have gone before us. And uh, there is nothing revolutionary within our profession. Fire and EMS is pretty much evolutionary. We have learned um, through how to do things better through an evolutionary process. There's been nothing revolutionary. And so I I have no doubt there will be extensive after action reviews that will come out of this. Again, there is is a a section within um, this group down there right now that is documenting everything. And uh, they're going to do the lessons learned and how they can approach this better in the future. And, And I think they're doing probably an outstanding, fabulous job because they've handled enough through the years. These are teams that have deployed not only to the Pentagon and the World Trade Center and all the different hurricanes, uh, the Mirror Federal Building, but they've also gone to the Philippines um, during earthquakes. Mexico City, they've been deployed to in the past. Haiti, the, you know, the recent earthquake, the devastating earthquake that occurred in Haiti, and they were able to pull people out of buildings seven days later that were still alive. Uh, they've gone to Turkey, Taiwan, Colombia. I'm trying to think of all different places our federal USAR United States teams have deployed to. So they are pretty adept at what they're doing and they know exactly how to approach these things. But we should never rest on our laurels. We should always look and say, okay, what can we do better and what can we learn from? And even new technology that's coming out. They got, I talked to a friend down there that they're using these pretty cool systems called DELSAR. DELSAR is D-E-L-S-A-R, USAR kits. Um, it converts the entire collapse structure into a, just basically a large sensitive microphone that transmits noises from entombed victims. And uh, they have these seismic and acoustic sensors that convert vibrations um, that are created by the victims into audible and visual signals. So they know exactly where there might be a live victim. So they're just not randomly searching areas. Of course, they are are doing that. Uh, You know, they have grid patterns, but 
if they detect something through these Delsar systems, they will concentrate in those particular areas. So, um, so not only do we learn from the lessons of before, but we're also adapting to the new technologies that are coming out. That is, that is pretty amazing that they can, you know, from, from the days of, you know, post 9-11 where you just had to, everyone had to stop and, and listen for, for taps or, 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 or some kind of signal to, to leveraging technology to, to augment that process is, is pretty amazing. And uh, I, I didn't, I didn't have a particular question or comment. I just, uh, when you, when you told me about that, I was like, wow, I, I didn't realize such a thing existed. That's what makes them the best color man in the business right there, Gary. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and switch gears as we, as we're getting up there in time. Um, you know, we appreciate you coming on. We know that you're busy and really kind of setting the standards for others to follow. But uh, I've been a fan of yours for a lot of years and, and I've interviewed you on uh, my other shows and uh, over 500 leadership articles, uh, a, a few uh, uh, leadership books, uh, you're a speaker, you're a coach, uh, you help other organizations to ensure that they're developing the best operations possible. But w- one of the things that I want to uh, uh, you know, have you talk about is you've recently put out a new book. I've read it. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. And I know that you've got a couple others in the works. Go ahead and share with the audience uh, your latest. Uh, give them a little snapshot of what it is and how can we contribute to your retirement? Well, um, I appreciate that. And Chris, I've been a big fan of yours, you and Kelly, as I said before the show started. What an awesome job the two of you do. Man, I, the, you are the first podcast I pull up on Friday afternoons on my drive between Champagne and my home in St. Louis. And uh, you, just an awesome, awesome, phenomenal show. And Chris, I'm a big fan of yours, too. How you manage the riots in Ferguson um, should be a model for many others when it comes to civil unrest in our country and how an EMS system should function during civil unrest. So kudos to you, too, Chris, on the phenomenal job you've done for our profession. But thank you for the opportunity just to mention my, my books here. Um, my latest one is called 401 Things Veteran Firefighters Can Teach You, and it's Basically, uh, what firefighters can teach you, veteran firefighters can teach you the tricks of the trade and the little tips on, on how to do your job better. And uh, one of my more popular books out is called Fully Involved Leadership. And uh, it's not one of those textbooks that basically, uh, you know, talks about the principles of leadership. It's real life, real scenarios in the fire service and EMS service on scenarios on, on how um, how you can provide leadership and growth to those and mentor those and servant leadership to those that you lead. And uh, both are available on Amazon or you can go to my website at GaryLudwigBooks.com and find them. But I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about those two books. And maybe one of the things yeah. we do in a future show, Gary, is have you come back and let's go ahead and talk about uh, the book itself. Because like I said, I've read it, I've enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, certainly tons of leadership lessons, but, uh, you know, Kelly and I appreciate you coming on, taking time out of your busy day to, uh, share your thoughts on this, uh, horrible incident that happened down there in Miami and, and promise us you're going to come back. I would love to, uh, and what an honor to be on with the two of you, two industry professionals, um, that, uh, have just contributed so much to our profession. Kelly, all the classes you have taught to all those that are coming up behind us and, and setting the stage for excellent patient care out there. Kudos to you too, Kelly, for everything you have done for our profession. We appreciate that. Uh, appreciate yeah. that very much, Gary. And now I feel partially responsible for your safety and well-being because you, you say you listen to our pod, our podcast on your drive from Champaign. Um, 
Gary, drowsy driving is unsafe driving. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, we don't, we don't want you physically impaired listening That's to right. several arrow drawn on and off and, and uh, about his latitude. So, uh, so, so be careful out there and I'll try to, I'll try to inject a little, uh, a little levity, a little levity, to keep him awake to, to wake yeah. you up on that long drive. If anybody, if anybody um, has a voice you. that drowns people, it's, it's you Kelly, but, uh, so for everybody out there, before we <laughs> uh, end, I, w- I just want to go ahead and talk. If yeah. you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Contact the Inside EMS team at the show at ems1.com to share your ideas, suggestions, and feedback, or if you want to join us as a guest. But Kelly, you get the last word before you get us up on out of here. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to thank Gary for for coming on today and giving us some perspective and insight into uh, uh, the leadership of of large scale incidents like this. And 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 I want to caution people that that are opining on social media. You, you've heard it said in squad rooms and, and firehouses everywhere that that everyone's an expert about somebody else's call. Uh, and and resist that urge. We don't need to be tearing our brothers down. We don't need to be tearing down fellow uh, public safety professionals who are trying to do a very tough job under very trying circumstances. And we'd like to to put out our, our thoughts and prayers uh, to the families of the, the still missing uh, and the injured and uh, our best wishes for the safety of the rescuers as they move forward in this. But that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Uh, send us your thoughts at the show at ems1.com and for myself co-host chris sevalero and chief gary ludwig our special guest this week guys thanks for tuning in inside ems send your thoughts and prayers to miami we'll catch you guys next week